like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious, but for those who do not believe, you will be put to shame. The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. And may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O risen Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The old adage states that timing is everything. And if that truly is the case then the timing was perfect in the fall of 2005 at the first church I ever served as I began to serve her. Many of you know that that was Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church, a church that at that time was pastored by the Reverend Dr. Tom Toole, beloved former member of this church, Westminster Presbyterian, whose name you can still find in the hallway alongside our elevator listed there with others celebrating their formation here and ultimate careers as congregational leaders, church musicians, and visionary preachers. Now the timing was perfect because in my very few first days serving there, I was involved in celebrating the culmination of a large four-year building project that I had absolutely nothing to do with. In fact, seriously, like the very first week, I attended one of the ribbon-cutting ceremonies. I stood, and I smiled for photos, knowing I did not have pretty much anything to do with building that. At the same time, I was aware that I had quite the holy responsibility ahead in ushering in that congregation's next and new season. Now, situated in midtown Manhattan, years before this one ribbon-cutting moment in time, the congregation had sold her air rights, which means it can no longer build up. 
So if the church wanted to expand, the only way that they could do that was by digging down. Now, when looking at the Manhattan skyline, people often wonder, why are skyscrapers mainly only found in certain areas of the city? And that has a lot to do with the original topography, right? The terroir of the island of Manhattan. While the areas around Houston Street, for those of you that have visited, where the average buildings are about four or five stories, that area 500 years ago was marshland. But the towers of Midtown are built upon rock. Solid. And that rock has provided the firm foundation that allows so many famous buildings to grow and to pierce the sky. The Chrysler Building, the Empire State Building, St. Patrick's Cathedral, all have this geological gift to thank for their support. Now, Fifth Avenue is in that same neighborhood, and she was built on that same rock and in that same fashion. And so the church worshipped for a year at a nearby synagogue, probably sounds familiar to many in this room, dug 30 feet down through rock and granite and stone in an effort to create a far better space for ministry and programs for generations to come. Now, as the congregation dug deeper and deeper and deeper into that bedrock, that bedrock upon which the old and yet new congregation had and will be formed, the pieces of stone that were removed and carted off became colloquially known as living stones. A direct Peter 2 reference from our passage today, indicating the power of this metaphor and the sefer reformata, always reformed concept that we Presbyterians hold so dear. Now I join Pastor Patrick in welcoming the good people from the Alexandria Children's Chorus with us here this morning for worship. So many young voices leading us in worship today. What an absolute gift. And I want to point out to you that us here at Westminster, as both good people of faith and good people of culture, are well-versed in the myriad of rock imagery that Peter reminds us of today in our passage. Our hymnody, as an example, is full of these. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Angels in bright raiment rolled the stone away. And, of course, a classic, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Scripture also is rife with stone imagery. When the wandering Hebrew pilgrims are lost in the wilderness, Moses causes water to gush forth from a stone by striking it with his staff. How important were those five small stones that David picked up by the stream before his clash with Goliath. Jesus teaches us, right, that the wise man builds their house upon the rock. Now today we find ourselves in the season of Eastertide, that blessed 50 days after Easter, but before Pentecost. And this calls, at least to this preacher's mind, all of the living stones that play important roles in the stories of Holy Week, that last week of Christ's life. Now this may seem like a bit of a stretch two millennia later, but I want to assure you that this was anything but to the original audience. They, for instance, were the ones that routinely walked those streets. 
They were the ones that worshipped at that temple. They were the ones that ate the olives grown in those gardens. They knew where Golgotha was, as an example. Additionally, with the authorship of this letter, often regarded as having been written prior to the finalization of any of our canonical Gospels, and often read throughout the Mediterranean, the living stones and Christ as cornerstone metaphor would have quite possibly, if not probably, been in the vernacular of the very first Christians. Thus, to celebrate Eastertide, we must first begin with Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Now, Scripture says that Jesus rode into the city, and as he did this, people lay cloaks down on the ground and waved palm branches as signs honoring and glorifying Jesus. The people shouted out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this causes a bit of a disturbance. And so when the temple leaders ask Jesus to quiet down his followers, Jesus replies, and I quote, If these people were silent, then even the stones would shout out. The stones upon upon which Jesus rode are given voice as active participants, assisting in this joyous event. Stones are alive. They are living stones with one purpose, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. During the night of Maundy Thursday after Christ is arrested, Jesus is denied three times by the man who has actually been given the nickname Peter, which means the rock. Is it mere coincidence that that same figure that this epistle is named after uses the term living stones in his writing? Is it a play on Peter's own Christ-given moniker? And after Peter, of course, denies Christ, Peter then spends the rest of his life not as a denier of the good news, but instead as an ambassador for the chief cornerstone, an ambassador with one purpose, to share the good news of the risen Jesus Christ. Scripture then tells us that at the moment that Jesus dies on Good Friday, there is an earthquake, a clear reminder that the stones and the earth is there mourning alongside humanity. And on Holy Saturday, Jesus' body rests entombed by rock. But then on Easter Sunday, that stone is rolled away so that that cornerstone may come forth and live and breathe among us all once again. For then the cornerstone is alive. And we, the living stones, friends, we are alive as well. Now, Peter is a wise author and a man of both deep faith and deep relationships. And so it's not just the stories of Scripture that Peter alludes to with his living stones metaphor, but to the people of our shared faith lives as well. For these, friends, are the living stones of our faith. These are the people with whom we are building a royal and a holy priesthood. These living stones are the pillars of spiritual fortitude, those that have inspired us to greater service and to deeper commitment to trust and to belief and to community. Last week, Pastor Olivia, she invited us all to tell our stories. 
And it's the people whose stories we most often want to share with others that are the living stones in our lives. What are the stories that you shared with others last week? When I think of the people that have been, when I think of the people that continue to be living stones here in this place, I think of Pastor George Para, whose library can be found right outside those doors. I think of Karen Blomberg, whose courtyard can be found right through those windows. And some of you may know, how many benches are in the Blomberg courtyard? Seven! Seven! We did a formation scavenger hunt this morning and found that out. I think of Pam Beard, who has taught at Westminster Weekday Preschool for over 35 years. 35 years of four-year-olds, friends. If you go over to the preschool wing, there are pictures in the wall that are up right now from each and every single one of her classes. I think of the numerous people whose lives have found home here, and yet due to family or service, due to employment or new opportunities, have not, for instance, a space named after them, who might not have 35 pictures up on the wall, but who have left their mark in the ministries of this place in ways far beyond measure. These are the people that fulfill and honor that call that Peter requires of us. For when we honor the chief cornerstone, we then become living stones ourselves. And to quote Peter, like living stones, we must let ourselves be built into a spiritual house, one that will become a holy and royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that is where we must finally turn today. For building a royal house of living stones sounds to me a lot like what we call in the 21st century discipleship, or perhaps what Dr. King named beloved community. A royal and holy house of living stones sounds to me like home. It sounds to me like sanctuary. It sounds to me like church. Home is a central theme in many of the world's great religions. Jews seeking a homeland with God. Christians proclaiming that God dwells within our hearts. Muslims face home to pray. Buddhists finding a home in true enlightenment. Druids and Wiccans worshiping gods who make their homes in the ocean or in the trees. Human beings build temples to shelter God's presence. We, we mark sacred places with shrines. We bury, we float, we burn our dead so that they might find their way back home to God. But friends, none of us ever need to do that alone because of the living stones that we sit alongside today as we worship. Because of the collected memory of the living stones that both came before and those stones that have yet to come that we know by the name of the communion of saints. And because of the sacred relationship between each and every single one of us and the chief cornerstone. For it is Christ's sacrificial and redemptive love that acts as a holy mortar between us all. That holy mortar that binds the living stones and the cornerstone all together. The love of Jesus Christ is that holy mortar 
that binds each stone alive together, past, present, and future. It's the holy mortar that binds us all to God. This holy mortar allows us to live courageously, united together as one against fear, against oppression, against persecution, and allows each of us as living stones to overcome trauma, to overcome loss, to overcome tragedy, and to overcome pain. And that is because we, the living stones that have put our faith and our trust in the other other living stones of this community, and we, the living stones that have put our faith and our trust in the love of the chief cornerstone, we know that we are building things together, and we know that what we are building together goes far beyond these walls, far beyond that library, and far beyond that courtyard. For it's not just what we build as living stones, but it is also what we carry together. We carry the hopes and the dreams of all those that went before. We carry the responsibility and the honor of wisely preparing a way in the wilderness for those that have yet to come. And the more we love one another, and the more we trust in the holy mortar that binds us together, together, we are able to fend off more evil. And together, we are all able to become that much more fully and wholly alive. We are the living stones that have put our faith in the chief cornerstone every day again and again, becoming that royal and holy priesthood called to share and support and carry the good news of the risen Christ. This is the holy house of God, Jesus Christ, is the chief cornerstone, and you are all living stones. Amen.